Amen. Thank you to our worship team. Good morning, friends. Uh, what a gift it is to uh, worship with you. Uh, for those of you watching online on YouTube, newlife.nyc, on Facebook, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York City. And wherever you're joining from, uh, it's a, a gift to have you with us. And for those of you in the room, at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs in the lobby. If we've never met before or if we haven't seen each other in a while, I'd love to connect with you. So make your way to me uh, and introduce yourself uh, to me before you head out. Before we get into our text today, I want to just take a moment to pray for the people of Puerto Rico and Haiti and the Dominican Republic and those in the surrounding areas. As you know, there was a hurricane that impacted that part of our world. And uh, just re with regards to Puerto Rico, there's, you know, some areas got over 30 inches of rain. Dozens had to be rescued by the National Guard. Uh, more than 900,000 people are without power. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people are still without water. And uh, looking at a multi-billion dollar hit on the economy. And when things like this happen, there are a number of uh, Puerto Ricans at New Life. This is not just something that happens out there. Whenever tragedy strikes our community, whether Indonesia, Singapore, Puerto Rico, uh, places in Africa, it's not just news out there. It's news that we feel in here. And so we want to practice generosity as a community as best as we can. We also want to lift up our prayers and intercession for those who are suffering. And so join me in just a word of prayer as we uh, offer our hearts and our intercession for those uh, experiencing great trials uh, in that part of our world. And so, Lord Jesus, we lift up uh, those in the Caribbean, those in uh, Puerto Rico, those in the Dominican Republic and in Haiti and the surrounding areas and pray, Lord, that you would be with them, that they would sense your presence, that they would sense your your peace, even in the midst of uh, a terrible storm. And Lord, may we carry uh, our brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors in our hearts as we offer prayers to you on their behalf. And so for all these things, Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. If you're new to our church or if you're new to the last couple of weeks, we started a series a couple of weeks ago focused on the book of Revelation, a particular portion of the book of Revelation where Jesus addresses seven churches. And Jesus has two kinds of words for the churches that he speaks to, words of confrontation and words of consolation. And as followers of Jesus, as, as those who are in relationship with God, we must hold these two words in dynamic tension with each other. And yet the challenge for many of us is to emphasize one at the expense of the other. For some of us, we know and we love consolation, but we don't want anything to have with God's confrontation. And some of us, all we know is the God of confrontation, but we don't have any space for the God of consolation. And so we want to hold these two in dynamic tension, and Jesus shows us in his words. And today we're going to focus on uh, Jesus' words to the church at Smyrna, the church at Smyrna. We focused on Ephesus two weeks ago. Today we're going to focus the, to the church at, at Smyrna. Uh, you can follow on the screen or in your Bible, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse number 8. Hear the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. 
I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive all you have for us this day. We pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. The psychologist Jonathan Haidt invites people uh, to imagine a very real but difficult set of scenarios uh, to ponder. And, and, it, and it goes like this. Imagine you're handed a script of your newborn child's entire life. And you're given an eraser at the same time and five minutes to edit out anything you want. You look at the script and you read that your child will have a learning disability in grade school. That reading comes easily for many kids before your child, she's going to have lots of difficulty. You find out that in high school, she's going to make a great circle of friends, and then she's going to be so betrayed that it just emotionally wounds her. After high school, she gets into her preferred college, but while she's there, she gets into a car crash that significantly injures her. And following that, she goes through a time of just a deep depression. A few years later, she gets a job and then loses that job in an economic downturn. She gets married and then has to experience the grief of separation. With this script of your child's life right before you, the question that this psychologist asks us to ponder is, what would you erase? What would you erase? And and the inclination, I believe, at least in my life, is I want to do everything I can to eliminate all the pain that my child would experience. But then another question needs to be asked. If your child and my child never knew failure, never knew disappointment, never knew pain, never knew suffering, would that be good? If you could erase every failure, if you could erase every disappointment, if you could erase every period of pain, would that be a good idea? Would that cause them to grow into the best version of themselves? Now, on one level, it makes perfect sense. The inclination of our hearts is to erase every bad moment of our child's life. And yet... We understand that life doesn't work like this, but this is the point that I think is really important for us to ponder. It is very easy for us to organize our lives around the avoidance of suffering. It's very easy to organize our lives around the avoidance of suffering. In the United States, happiness is one of the greatest values that we treasure and we do almost anything to protect our happiness almost anything to protect our comfort but here's the 
truth. No amount of maneuvering can keep us from suffering. I've tried. No amount of maneuvering can keep us from suffering. In fact, the more we avoid it, the more we seem to suffer. This is what Thomas Merton actually observed. He said, the more you try to avoid suffering, the more you suffer because smaller and more insignificant things begin to torture you in proportion to your fear of being hurt. The one who does the most to avoid suffering is, in the end, the one who suffers most. I think a lot about this, that, that for example, to, to have conflict with another and to enter into conflict with another person, that's painful. Not unless you enjoy that stuff, and we can talk after the service, but, but, but to have conflict with someone is actually uh, very painful. And, and many of us often uh, 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 organize our lives around avoiding conflict, which means we often hide. But to live an entire life in which you're hiding from others that you don't want to have any kind of conflict with leads to another kind and a different kind of weight, a different kind of pain that we must carry. To tell the truth is very painful at times. And if you like to tell the truth, especially to other people, talk to me at the end of the service. But, but, if you like, but to tell the truth and to be honest is often very, very painful. And what we often do is organize our lives around avoiding honesty. And what does that lead to? Lying. And to carry and to lie our way through life lead to a different kind of pain, a different kind of suffering. It's easy to organize our lives around avoiding suffering when it comes to taking risks, failing. So many times we don't take the risk. We don't risk failure whatsoever, but then we live with this crushing burden of resentment. What if I said yes to that? What if I, how would my life be different. And so the question that we must wrestle with as we look at this chapter in Revelation is not how can I avoid suffering at all costs? The question is how can we remain faithful to Jesus in our suffering? How do we remain faithful to Jesus in our suffering? Or perhaps more importantly, what does Jesus say to us? when we are experiencing pain. And it is here where we turn to Jesus' words to this church in Smyrna. The Apostle John is carrying words from Jesus to speak to seven different churches around the area. And we've talked about it a couple of weeks ago that when we read the book of Revelation, we have to understand that it has at least three different words to, to really get at the thrust of what Jesus is actually trying to get across and what John is trying to get across. The book of Revelation is first and foremost, it's prophetic literature, which is to say that it gives us a picture of the future, but not just gives us a picture of the future, it shows us who holds the future. That we are reminded that our Lord Jesus Christ holds the future. The book of Revelation is prophetic. The book of Revelation is also apocalyptic. Don't be nervous by that word. That means to unveil something. 
that when you go to Broadway and the curtain goes up, it's an apocalypse. You see something that was previously hidden. And in the book of Revelation, what gets unveiled is the very source of evil, that there are powers and principalities, evil forces behind the scenes that Jesus is trying to open the curtain to let us know what's happening that we cannot see with our eyes. But beyond that, the, John shows us not just the evil behind the curtain, but the presence of God behind the curtain as well. That we cannot see often with our own eyes the presence of God. And so we need a revelation about God's presence in our lives. Which is why we should call Sundays Apocalypse Sunday. Every Sunday. Because I don't know about you, but every Sunday I need a revelation of God's presence in my life. I need a revelation of God's goodness in my life. Of God's presence in my life. And the book of Revelation is not just prophetic. It's not just apocalyptic. The book of Revelation is resistance literature. It's helping us to resist the power of the empire. The values of the empire. And resist it in such a way that we are faithful to Jesus and honor him with our lives. And so John is writing to these seven churches. He gets to the place of Smyrna. The church at Smyrna. And it is a wealthy place. This place Smyrna. It has a thriving economy, and yet the people who Jesus is writing to is actually experiencing a lot of pain. Abundance, but they're experiencing poverty. Wealth, but they're experiencing lots of pain. And it reminds us all that, that, that wealth can never protect us from avoiding pain. Reminds us that appearances can be one thing that can easily mark, mask our suffering. And so Jesus has these words for a church as experiencing pain, experiencing persecution, experiencing suffering. And what I love what Jesus does is he really summarizes his words to them in three simple statements that I want to explore for us. Jesus says three things in the book of Revelation to the church at Smyrna. He says, I am, I know. I will give. I am, I know, I will give. And these are the three things that Jesus speaks to you, no matter what you're experiencing today. I am, I know, I will give. First he says, I am. When Jesus begins each letter to the church, he, he gives a little uh, 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 profile of himself. He talks to the church about who he is and what he does. He, to the church at Smyrna, he says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Listen, if someone is addressing me and they begin the conversation with, I'm the first and the last, and yet yeah, I died and I'm back to life again, you better pay attention to this person's words. And so Jesus is letting us know, this is who you're talking to, and this is who's talking to you right now. I'm first, I'm last, I was dead, but I'm alive. He's saying, everything started in me, and everything is moving towards me. And everything in between, it's about me. I am Genesis, and I am Revelation. I am beginning, I am the end. I am Alpha, I am Omega. And Jesus' words are reminding the church that they have someone powerful in their corner. And you must be reminded, brothers and sisters, today that whatever you're experiencing, you have someone powerful in your corner. You have the first and the last in your corner. 
Alpha and Omega in your corner. He was dead, but he came alive in your corner. I, I get excited about that. I don't know about you. You got him in your corner. And we need to hear these words that who's in our corner because life gets hard. Life is difficult. The church in Smyrna, they are suffering, and we need this encouragement today because it wasn't just the church in Smyrna that was suffering. There's lots of suffering in this church as well. Lots of pain in this church. Lots of pain for those of you watching. One of the, the, the greatest privilege I have as a pastor is not preaching. The greatest privilege I have as a pastor are the moments when you entrust me with your story. The moment when you say, Pastor Rich, this is what I'm experiencing. This is the pain, the suffering that I am going through right now. It's the greatest privilege that you can let me into your life and share your story with me. And over the years at New Life, I've sat across from many of you and I've heard the pain and the suffering that you are carrying. The pain of seeing your parent deteriorate because of dementia. The pain of betrayal in a long-standing relationship. The pain of unemployment after many, many years on the job. The pain of sickness that doesn't seem to get any better. The pain of seeing your children walk away from Jesus and you don't know what is going to happen next. And when we think about all the suffering in our community and all the suffering in our world, we need to hear the words, I am. I am. And so Jesus says, I am. I'm first and last. And then he says, I know. I know. I know your afflictions and poverty. That word afflictions is, is, is really, it, the language is really that it's a burden that crushes. And some of you know what that feels like today. You're living under a burden that is crushing you. And, and when Jesus says, I know this, I know this, he's not just communicating that he has information about what's happening in your life. It's not Jesus saying, I saw your Facebook post. Wow, things are pretty bad. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry about that. He's not just communicating knowledge or information about the situation. He's letting them know, I am with you. He's saying, I have been there before. I know and I am with you. And there's something so soothing. There's something so important. There's something so comforting when you're in relationship with someone who has been where you are. When, 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 if I'm experiencing trouble in my marriage, I don't want to talk to a newlywed. Come on, somebody. I don't want to talk to someone who's been married for two weeks. We praise the Lord they've been married for two weeks. I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to someone who has been through it. I want to be with, talk to someone who's been there for 20 years and 30 years and 40 years and says, this is what we've been through. I know what it's like to sit where you're sitting. There's something comforting when you're sick and you find someone who's experienced something similar to you and they've experienced something of God's presence and God's healing. That's who I want to talk to. When I've experienced a loss of, of a career, when you experience unemployment, I don't want to talk to someone who has three jobs. I want to talk to someone who knows what it's like to experience lack and uncertainty. And we have a God who knows what it's like to be where you're at. 
We have a God who can empathize and sympathize with us. If you experience betrayal, Jesus says, I know what it's like to be betrayed. If you're experiencing something happening in your body, Jesus knows what it's like to experience something in his body. If you're experiencing loneliness, Jesus knows what it's like to be lonely. He says, I know, I know, I know, and I am with you. I am with you. I know. These are words of encouragement, words of consolation, which reminds me of a very important point in this portion of Jesus' words to the church at Smyrna. In five five out of the seven churches that he addresses, Jesus has confrontation and consolation, words of confrontation and consolation. For the church at Smyrna, Jesus has no words of criticism. No words of confrontation, all consolation for the church at Smyrna. It's like Jesus understands, you're already going through it. You are already suffering, which is a good word for us. Because when we see people suffering, it's very easy to add to their suffering with the things that we say. We see it all the time. This is Job's friends in a nutshell. The reason you're going through that, you haven't gone to church. That's why you haven't got a job yet. It's just like, well, thank you. That's the encouragement I needed today. (laughs) The reason this is happening is because of this. But Jesus does no such thing. He just offers them consolation and comfort. He doesn't say, do better. He says, I'm with you. I'm with you. And it's often the case that we we are often believing that Jesus is trying to add on to our suffering with the words. I had a conversation last week with a pastor friend of mine uh, that I've been mentoring in some way, and he's been going through the ringer. I mean, just uh, setback after setback. And we had a phone call, and he's just asking, how how can I just uh, suffer well? How can I be faithful to Jesus in this particular moment. And, and throughout the conversation, he asked a question a couple of times. I, I've been asking God, what, what, what should I learn here? What, what, what do you want me to learn? And it's a question I've asked before, a question you've asked before. And I think it's an important question, but I don't think it should be the first question we ask or the first thing we say. I, I could be wrong, but as I look at the book of Psalms, and when the psalmist is in distress, I'm not sure if the psalmist says, Lord, what do you want me to learn right now? And what happens when I ask that question is this, Lord, what do you want me to learn so that we never have to do this again? I want to pass the test so that we don't show up here in three years. It's me trying to control. It's me trying to uh, avoid any kind of suffering whatsoever. But the the question that we should, the statement that we say when we're suffering should not be, Lord, what do you want me to learn? Really, the thing that should come out of our mouth is, Lord, come to my aid. Lord, rescue me. Lord, deliver me. Lord, and Jesus is saying, I am with you. Now, he says, I know, but then look what he does. He's trying to get them to shift their perspective even in the midst of their deep pain. He says, I know your poverty but you are rich. I know your poverty, but you are rich. One of the ways that we heap pain on ourselves is by having the wrong view of what is truly valuable and what is not valuable. 
The people who are experiencing pain in the book of Smyrna, in this church at Smyrna, have no vacation that they can go to to get some reprieve. The people in the the church of Smyrna uh, uh, don't have a a cozy home that they can return to and escape the trials and tribulations of life. The people in the church of Smyrna don't have the resources uh, to find a therapist uh, so that they can have a conversation to process what's happening uh, in their souls. And some of you know what I'm talking about here. What happens when you don't have the resources? What happens when you can't go on vacation? What happens when you don't have a cozy home? What happens when you are really poor and there's nowhere to go? Jesus reframes their poverty by saying, I know you are poor, but you are rich. This is a scandal to the American mind. It makes no sense to people who view comfort as the ultimate value. It confounds the minds of those who find no redemptive qualities in pain. Jesus says, I know your poverty, but you are rich. And this is remarkable because it's actually a contrast with what he's going to say to the church at Laodicea. To the church at Laodicea, look at what he says, and we'll get to it in a couple of weeks. He says, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. He says, you say you're rich, you don't have nothing, but really, you're you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. That's our Lord talking. But but to the church in Smyrna, he says, you're poor. This is the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. But I tell you, you're rich. Now, when Jesus says, you're poor, but you're rich, he's not saying that poor people should not just accept their poverty and not do anything about it. He's not saying that we should not do what we can to serve and empower the poor. He's not saying that the systems that perpetuate poverty should not be addressed. Many people have interpreted Jesus' words when he says, you'll have the poor with you always, to mean... We're always going to have the poor. We don't have to do anything about it. When Jesus says, I know you're poor, but you are actually rich, he's saying something that is actually not popular to hear. He's saying you're rich. How are they rich? Well, because their suffering has brought them to God. There is a quality of our faith that is deepened when we experience pain. There is a closeness we have to God when we are going through the ringer. There is a spiritual aliveness that we have that's made possible even when things are not going our way. Why? Because God is particularly close to people in these circumstances. And I want to encourage you because you you might miss a moment. You might miss a moment. Yes, God desires us to have our lives marked by peace and and marked by joy, and and marked by life, and by love. And at the same time, God wants to use our pain, and use our suffering, and use our setbacks to shape our character, and and, and draw us close to Him. And and so Jesus doesn't promise that everything is going to be great, but He's letting the church know that even in the worst moments in Christ, 
You are rich. And I understand this because in the deepest moments of my own doubt, in the deepest moments of my own anxiety, in the deepest moments of my own despair, I have experienced profound encounters with God that could not have come otherwise. Why? Well, because sometimes God allows us to go through a situation because he's about to give us a revelation. And sometimes you can't get a revelation until you've been in a situation. I'm preaching now. Help me here. Sometimes it takes a situation of lack to get a revelation that God is provider. Sometimes it takes a situation of sickness to get a revelation that God is healer. Sometimes, amen, it takes a situation of anxiety to understand that God is the prince of peace. And some of you are wondering, why am I going through what I'm going through right now? Is it possible that God is allowing you to experience a situation because he's about to give you a revelation that's about to blow your mind? Maybe it is that you're going to taste something of God's presence in a way that was previously impossible because God uses a situation in order to bring about revelation. Now, amen. I, I feel good here now. Uh, uh, and, so, and so Jesus lets the church know, look what, look what he does. Look what he does. And, and for, if you're Enneagram language, a seven for me, I'm all about pain avoidance. I don't like what Jesus is about to say next. And, and I actually didn't want to preach this uh, a sermon today. I wanted to preach something very happy. Uh, and, and I said, no, I have to do this because uh, I got to do the counter instinctual work. But Jesus says, you're rich, you're rich, you're rich. And then right after that, he says, uh, just take note um, that you're going to suffer. Don't be afraid about what you are about to suffer. He lets them know suffering is on its way. Now, I did not come to church to scare you, okay? That's not my, my goal is not to let you know, listen, by the end of the week, something bad is going to happen here. That's not what I came to church to do today. But this is what I know to be true. Sooner or later, pain comes. Sooner or later, loss comes. Sooner or later, suffering comes. But notice what happens here. Jesus says, verse 10, don't be afraid about what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will, pull, will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, the word 10 days, 10 days does not literally mean 10 days. I, I wish Jesus would give us just the specificity of that. Just let us know, okay, listen, for 21 days, you're going to go through it. But by day 22, it's over. It's like, oh, thank you. I, I, every day, day one, you know, day, we're almost there. We're almost there. Lord, how long is this going to last? Three months. All right, I, I, I'm there. I, how long, Lord? A year? Mm, uh, all right, but, I, but I'll hang in there. I just wish Jesus just let us know this information, 10 days. But when he says 10 days, he's talking about a period of time. But beyond just a period of time, Jesus is letting us know that suffering has an expiration date. Somebody say amen. amen. Suffering has an expiration date. He's letting us know, you know the, the black church says, Suffering don't last always. Trouble don't last always. He's letting us know suffering has an expiration date. And, and if you can trust in the words of the first and the last, the beginning and the end, even the suffering and pain that we're experiencing right now, we have a new perspective on it. I'm reminded, you know, when I, when I take... Um, uh, almost every year, our, our children, when we go to the doctor, Rosie and I take our children for their uh, annual uh, checkup. 
There's a question that our children have asked us almost every year. We get in the car, we go, we have a doctor's appointment today. And they ask a question that I think every child asks. Daddy, uh, mommy, are we going to get a shot? Are we going to get a shot? Are we going to get a needle? And, you know, I realize while we have 30 minutes to get to the doctor's appointment, do I want my life to be bad for the next 30 minutes? Or So, so I go, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm driving, I go, they're getting three shots today. This is going to be really bad. This is going to be really bad. And in the car, they go, Daddy, are we gonna, am I going to get a needle today? Am I going to get a needle today? And I, and I go, and, and I go uh, you know, we'll see. We'll, 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 we'll see, which is like, I think every parent's special phrase to use when you want to say no, but we'll, we'll see. And my, my daughter has caught up now. Daddy, can you take me to the mall? We'll see. That means no, Daddy. That means no. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. And then we get to the doctor's appointment, and we're in the waiting room, and Dad, are we going to get in? And, and maybe we'll, we'll, we're going to just get inside. And then they walk in and see the needles waiting from the right there. Oh, God, no. And they start screaming and throwing up and all the rest there. And, and I go, wow, look what I just saved my car from uh, just getting all the nastiness in it right now. And, and, and so, but what I tell them is, listen, listen, um, it, it, it might hurt for a, a little bit, for a second it might hurt, but then after that it's going to be all good. And most of the time they're just unconsolable. I don't, I don't want it. I don't, they don't hear anything that I'm saying, but I'm saying, it's but just for a second, and then you're going to feel good, and, and then I'll get you ice cream and, and, and everything else, and it's going to be okay. And when I think about my life, when I think about the book of Revelation, what Jesus is saying, sometimes I go, uh, uh, Jesus, am I going to get a needle this year? Is that, is that, and some, uh, Jesus goes... Uh, because he loves us? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Why? Because to be human is to suffer. To be human is to experience pain. But Jesus says, even though you're going to experience pain, pain has an expiration date. And I'm with you in it. And so he lets us know this and then says, I want you to do two things. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And God's speaking to you today. Don't be afraid. Don't, that phrase comes up in the Bible, they say 365 times, one for each day. Don't be afraid. When Jesus says, don't be afraid, he's, saying, he's not saying, don't feel your fear. He's not saying, don't feel your anxiety. To be human is to feel fear. To be human is to feel anxiety. But he's, saying, don't, he's not saying, don't feel your fear. He's saying, turn your eyes upwards to me. For I am with you. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And then he tells them, be faithful. Be faithful. Jesus knows something about me. He knows something about you that when pain and suffering comes, I'm ready to give up very quickly. I'm ready to say later for this. I don't want to have anything to do with God if this is how this relationship is going to be. And Jesus knows that whenever difficulty comes, we are very uh, inclined to wanting to give up all together, give up church, give up the Bible, give up prayer. Jesus says, be faithful, be faithful. Stick with me, even though you don't feel me, I'm here. Stay with me, even though you want to give up, I I'm here. Be faithful. 
faithfulness is sticking with God when feeling says, just leave. Be faithful. Be faithful. Uh, A few years ago, 2019, I went on sabbatical and I went to a monastery for a number of days and asked the head of the monastery if I could have an hour conversation with him. And he was so gracious to just give me an hour of his time. This is, these are people who have given their entire lives to prayer, their entire lives to staying with the community for their entire life. These people know God. These people have a life of prayer. These people do the rhythms of prayer five, six, seven times a day. And so I said, what have you learned about living in a monastery all these years? What have you learned about getting up in the morning at 3 a.m. to pray and then doing it six more times? What have you learned about the spiritual life? What have you learned about God? And I, and I took out my, my phone to just take some notes, and he said, there's, there, there's four things I want to just share with you, and I want to share with you what he, what he shared with me. He said these four things. He said, waking up to pray at 3 a.m. gets pretty old sometimes. I said, oh, how encouraging. How wonderful is that? Waking up at 7 a.m. gets pretty old sometimes to pray. (laughs) Then he says, I sometimes wonder if I believe in God. And I said, you're the head of the monastery. (laughs) And if I'm honest with myself, I've said the same thing. I sometimes wonder if I believe in God. And then he said words that seemed to contradict the second thing he said. He said, but I've experienced a depth of God's love that's hard to explain. And I'm thinking, what is it? Is it two or is it three? And he's saying, yes. (laughs) Then he said, don't complicate prayer. He said, amen, after that. I said, well, all right, well, thank you. I I, I appreciate the time. But two and three here, you know what you call that? Faithfulness. I sometimes wonder if I believe in God. I sometimes wonder, is this Christianity thing real? Is this salvation thing real? Give yourself permission to be honest with these questions. And then at the same time, open yourself to the mystical reality of God's nearness. That there are times that even in my rationality, I don't know if I believe this, something deep in my soul is tasting something that's hard to explain. Faithfulness. This is why I I come to church, not just because I'm the pastor, because I need the people of God. I need the people of God. There are times where I cannot sing. I'm too burdened, but, but, but I need your voices to help me sing. There are times when we pray prayers of confession, and, 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 and I just can't get myself, but, but I need your voices and your presence. Faith, we need each other to remain close to God. And so Jesus says, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful, because this is what's coming. He says, I am. I know. Lastly, he says, I will give. He says, I will give you life as your victor's crown. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. To say, listen, in, in me, there's no need to fear the death of this age or the second death, the final judgment. No need. Why? Because I'm with you. I'm for you. I love you. The invitation is be faithful. Stick with me. Because I will give you the victor's crown. You don't have to be afraid of the second death. This is what our Lord speaks to you this day.
hear that from the deepest part of my own soul, Jesus saying to you, I am. I know. I will give you. Stick with me. Stay with me. Abide in me. I'm with you. Amen. Let's pray together. Some of you have been in Smyrna this past week. Yeah, I know you live in Queens, but you, your life has lived in Smyrna. Pain, suffering. And maybe not your pain, maybe the pain of a loved one. That's just wearing you down. Hear the words of Jesus. I am. I know I will give. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence and for your love, which is better than life. Strengthen us. Empower us. Comfort us. Console us. Heal us. Revive us. Resurrect us. We sing to you now these words of praise and worship. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing together.
I am, I know, I will give. May those words find deep roots in your soul this day and this week. May you know the God who is with you. This isn't any old God. This is first and last. Beginning and end. Alpha and Omega. Death has no power over him. Amen. Death has no power over our Lord Jesus. That's who's with you. Let's have our prayer team come to my right. One of the ways that we are reminded of God's nearness is when we pray for one another. When we have someone place their hands on our shoulders, reminding us of God's nearness. I've had the privilege of having breakfast and lunch and Zoom calls with so many of you. So I know the very real suffering in our congregation. And yet, for many of you that I have not had the pleasure of doing that with, I don't have to know you well to know that you've gone through the ringer, that you know what it's like to be in pain and suffering. And God sees you, and God loves you, and God is with you. And so for whatever need you have, we'd love to pray for you. Love to remind you that God's with you. And so feel free to come forward after our benediction. For some of you, you've come into our church today, you're watching online, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered to his love. And let me tell you, he loves you with an everlasting love. What are you waiting for? As you've been in worship today, some of you, maybe you've sensed in singing your heart being tugged. That's the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, saying, come to me. Surrender your life to Jesus. Give your life, follow him. And you can come up for prayer. You can talk to one of our pastors in the lobby. You can also text the phrase, yes to Jesus. It's the number on the screen, 718-424-0122. And one of our pastors would love to follow up with you to help you take your very next step. At the end of the service, for those online or those who want to hop on their phone to be in conversation, there's a sermon discussion time that's on the link on Facebook and YouTube and our New Life website. And so feel free to join there for 30 minutes. One of our pastors will be leading that time. Let me bless you. Open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We end every gathering like this to be reminded of God's nearness, of God's love. And we do it in such a way that we receive so that we can give and pour ourselves out for the, well, for, the, for the world that is suffering around us. And so, with your hands in your hearts and the posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this gathering and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit having these words deeply rooted in your soul I am I know I will give I bless you on the strong 
in the beautiful and the resurrected name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all.